This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are keeping on, keeping on. This is a great, great show so far. And we have up next Courtney McBeth, the special assistant to the president at the University of Utah and the project director of um, the American Dream Ideas Challenge, which is what we're going to focus on in this segment. So the American Dream Ideas Challenge, I'm going to let Courtney talk much more about it because I don't know too much. But the idea, I think, is, you know, how are we growing and sustaining the middle class, and what are the innovations to do that? So welcome to the show, Courtney. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be on and talk about our projects. Absolutely, and I know it's new. I know it's early in Utah, and we love you at Wharton Social Impact, so welcome to the show, Courtney. Tell us about more about your background first. Let's, let's talk about Courtney. Well, great. Thank you, and uh, likewise, I love Wharton Social Impact as well, and Hi to you and Cheryl and all the team. Um, so, yes, a little bit about me. Um, I've worked at the University of Utah for the past 20 years in policy and more recently moved into social impact work and social innovation in higher education and um, recently took on uh, the job um, to be special assistant to our newly named um, President Ruth Watkins. That's great. And you, you know, how we were connected first was through your work at the Sorensen Impact Center at the University of Utah. You focus a lot on impact investing, but you also are now an esteemed alumna of the University of Pennsylvania since you got your doctorate here. Yes, it's, uh, it's a great thing to be an alum of the University of Pennsylvania. And I had a great experience in the executive doctorate um, program in higher education management. And Um, really to have the flexibility to create a dissertation topic that was relevant to the work that I was doing at the time and to help um, inform my current work and um, future work of our university. And I think that's why, I mean, of course, we can tout University of Pennsylvania. You're also a University of Utah alumna, so, you know, let's not forget that. But the point of bringing that up is really that your dissertation focused on social innovation, social impact centers within the university context. So the Wharton Social Impact Initiative is a center within the Wharton School, within the University of Pennsylvania. Other centers may be within business schools or policy schools, et cetera, or they are within the provost's office. Uh And you really took a really big landscape of that universe. Can you tell us a little bit more about that work? Sure, yes. And I think it's important to note sort of what motivated me to do this as well is when um, I had been working at our political institute for 15 years running global work and um, and civic engagement work. And so when I was asked by your business school to come over and help establish this newly created um, social impact center, the Sorensen Impact Center, um, I started doing research and looking out there to say, you know, what is this phenomenon? What's going on in this landscape? And what I found is there was there was no research, um, academic um, or otherwise, uh, holistic, holistically looking at this phenomenon. So it was a great opportunity to say, what is happening in higher education? How how is higher ed um, reacting to this surge in interest by millennials and Gen Z about social impact and impact investing? Um, so yes, I I did. <laughs> bite off a big chunk and um, had a pretty broad scope. And what I did is um, I interviewed over 40 centers across the United States um, at public and private universities. 
and really ask them, you know, how did your center come about? What drove that? What are you guys currently doing? And, um, you know, symbolic of this notion of impact investing, of marrying mission and market, that's really what drove um, these centers and institutes to be established at universities. It was both this notion of um, market competition and the need to compete for students. Which means it's really customer-driven. Right, exactly. Customer-driven by the students who are who would go to conferences and would look online and they'd come to their professors and say, what is ESG investing? What is impact investing? I want to learn about this. What's social entrepreneurship? And so the faculty and the institutions had to respond and start creating courses um, and opportunities for students um, to really, you know, be able to learn about this. Um, otherwise, they would leave and go to other institutions that had strong programs. So it, it really was customers driving this and then the market competition by higher ed really pushing this. And I think it is important to note it, they, they, these sort of programs um, and courses started in about the mid-90s in elite graduate business schools. But what we've seen over time um, is that it's sort of proliferated across um, sort of down the curriculum, so to undergrads as well, and then out into policy schools and mm-hmm. under provost offices and in other parts of campus, which then um, creates other dynamics and challenges as well. And I think, you know, one thing I want to underscore for our audience, and then I do want to get into the Alliance for the American Dream and the work that you're doing at, at Utah now, is if a lot of us, if you've been to college, you you know that it feels very insular sometimes. So faculty are doing their own thing on research. Uh, students are learning in the classroom. And maybe students on their own are volunteering in the community or something. But I think over time, the university has had to say, what is our role as an anchor institution in a community? You know, what is our broader mission within, you know, our city or our neighborhoods or whatever? And so I, I think that helps inform the the centers that you're talking about in your dissertation and really your work now. And I think you and the new president had to think through what is the role of the University of Utah in this broader context, too. Is that accurate? Yes, that's exactly accurate. Um, I think there's this real time of reflection around what is the anchor institution role of universities and how how does that inform sort of across sectors, so not just with economic development or civic engagement? I mean, it's it's this whole broad notion of we've got to engage with the private sector, um, the public, you know, government, and then also nonprofit um, and community folks. And I think that's why we're really excited about this new American um, Dream Ideas Challenge, what we call it here in Utah, and being part of the Alliance for the American Dream is it does allow us to do sort of this new innovative type of community engagement that is engaging across the sectors and saying, you know, it, universities have this role to bring people together to really think about what are our most salient and pressing issues um, in the 21st century. Yeah, and I think that that's very consistent with, you know, we talk about consumer trends, millennial trends with folks from Pepsi at the top of the show to, um, you know, companies talking about employment practices. But, you know, colleges and universities are largely consumer driven, right? People are making decisions on where they want to go with those same trends in mind. So they want more transparency. They have greater expectations on um, the commitment of, you know, their purchasing power to creating the world they want. And so it's not a surprise at all that we see that playing out, you know, at this stage as well. Right. And I think, um, 
it should be noted that we're still understanding how especially Gen Z students um, consume and think about their role, and they don't see this bright line between Mm -hmm. private and social good. So to them, it's all one, and they want to marry all of that together and work in jobs where they feel mission-driven and they're making a difference, and um, they want to be taking courses where they feel like they can have a positive impact. Yeah, one thing I'm fascinated by is we've we've heard this trend about Gen Z and about millennials that they care more about impact. They're more likely to impact invest. They want a career with both, but they're not at the point yet where they're investing or making those career decisions like as a, as full populations of those generations. And I often have to wonder like, well, that's what they say, but how will they act? Choosing colleges is one way they're acting. Right. So this Mm -hmm. is an actual market data point, not just uh, how they're responding on a survey about future behavior. But this is a signal that we're starting to see that, you know, students are opting into programs like this. They're selecting universities that have these programs. So it is an interesting data point in the landscape of a lot of, um, you know, hypothesizing about their behavior. I think that's a great point. And, And we see institutions um, looking towards creating coursework that's ish, that's um, focused on an issue where mm-hmm. that then forces faculty and departments oh, to um, come together to create a course about climate change or homelessness. Um, the students want to take those type of courses, not sort of the traditional siloed um, type of courses. And so let's shift gears a little bit. So if you think about an issue area, the American dream. I mean, that's an, we. I we actually. <laughs> this is funny. My husband and I. We had some friends over uh, last weekend, and we got into a pretty heated debate around the table around what the American dream was, and and <laughs> like oh, how we were struggling to grasp what that was and what the principles are. So, if you think about the Alliance for the American Dream, what in the world is it? Great. I love that you guys were having a heated debate about this, and it doesn't surprise me, actually, because if you, uh, if, if, there's a lot of articles and initiatives and conversation um, bubbling up about the American dream and the question of exactly what it is. And, um, you know, James Treslow Adams wrote his book um, in the early 1930s called The Epic of America, which puts forth this notion that um, really the U.S. democracy was founded and embedded in this notion that anyone can come to the U.S., despite religion, background, family, heritage, all of that, and have this opportunity um, to make a livable wage and to raise their family and to be safe and have opportunities. And as we look at income disparity and inequality, there's people are really calling into question if this American dream is even a reality anymore. Right. And I mean, this certainly pops up in, I think, our news cycle today. And we see it in, you know, our politics, in our news, in our day to day, I mean, wallets and purchasing, you know, like we're talking about students being able to, you know, choose careers or whatever. But let's be honest, or I'm I, how I feel is it's also kind of a point of privilege to be able to make those decisions. Sometimes you just have to go with what pays the bills or what's going to get you by. So, um, yeah, how, how is the middle class defined, I guess, to Nick's point there in terms of uh, metrics? Is it like, you know, the the two middle quartiles? Is it, you know, when you talk about the vibrant middle class in America as the goal for this work, you know, give us some metrics. Is that the middle half? Is it the top? You know, right. Help well, us put our heads around that. There, There's 
there's a handful of much smarter, more qualified people um, to answer this than me. But but we've got the... you on the show. So <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll so take Alan, what you've got, Courtney. Alan Kruger talks about the range of households between 50 and 100 percent or 150 percent of the medium household income. Pew looks at it as 30 to 70 percent of households um, compared to the federal poverty guidelines. You can um, break it up into quartiles. Um, and this is this has been one of the really fascinating questions with, you know, launching this project in the last three weeks or three months is how do we define it in Utah, for example, because you have to consider sort of your local demographics, your household size. Some of it's also people's state of mind. Do they wake up in the morning feeling hope like they have a safe place for their kids to go to childcare or the, are their kids' schools safe? Um, so there's a lot of ways you can look at it as just relative income or it's sort of a combination of purchasing power and income and or is it this sort of state of mind. Um, in Utah, we know that the median um, household income is 66000 and sort of the lower bound is 40000 and the upper bound is 100000 but that also you know, varies depending on the household size. And in Utah, we have slightly ha- uh, higher um, birth rate and so, you know, larger household size. So as we think about our challenge in Utah, we're, we're looking at this $65,000, the median average income, with sort of the lower bound being 40000 and the upper bound um, being 98000 And it's interesting that you mentioned state of mind when it comes to the middle class and the American dream because there was a fabulous – I encourage all of our listeners to read what I consider a fabulous article in last month's Atlantic – Mm-hmm. Uh, the Atlantic. I don't remember the name of the article, but it we'll, really we'll tweeted out. It Follow really us at talks. Social. Yeah, it really talks about um, people who probably are not middle class anymore, but like that state of mind. It, like they're actually above the middle class. Mm-hmm. They are maybe in the top ten percent. Actually, I think it's the top nine point nine percent is what they talk about. Um, they are. But they, their mindset is, we are very middle class. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of this is also how you're raised, right? I think a lot of people kind of stay in the mindset in which they were raised. I don't know much about this, but I could see someone who is raised in the middle class, their spending habits are established in a middle class way, even if they come into money, might still have a, a sort of middle class um, experience psychologically. Exactly. And I I think this is, I would love to hear from listeners on this too. I mean, if mm-hmm. you have some thoughts about what it is to be, in the middle class or you're feeling the pinch and you want to talk about it, give us a ring at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're here with Courtney Macbeth, who's a special assistant to the to the president of the University of Utah and the project director for the American Dream Ideas Challenge, which is why we're talking about this. So Courtney, tell us a little bit more about the University of Utah's role in the Alliance for the American Dream, um, and then we'll get into the challenge. So the university's role, we're one of four public universities in the Alliance for the American Dream, and all the universities are sort of in the middle of the country. Um, Our funder, Schmidt Futures, has um, the mission to provide capital um, and and create innovation in areas of the country where there hasn't been in the past. And so as the University of Utah, we have designed um, a challenge where we are trying to find, fund, and develop Um, innovations that will help strengthen the middle class in Utah. So in our anchor institution role in the state, we are going out and bringing um, 
all voices, diverse perspectives together to say, tell us, you know, what is the middle class to you and what are ideas that can um, increase income for the middle class? So we have the specific goal to find an innovative policy or technology idea that will increase net income by 10% for 10,000 households by the end of 2020. And I, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here for the sake of learning. You know, why is the focus on the middle class? Why 10%? You know, if these folks are in the middle class, are they making enough to cover basic needs? If so, why is there a push to increase income? So traditionally, governments and nonprofits have really looked at um, intergenerational poverty, so the, the lower bound of lower income, you can say. And so in this whole thread of this idea of the middle class, over the last 50 years, jobs that once provided benefits and a living wage, you know, with some discretionary income mm-hmm. left over, have really dwindled. So we have a lot of families who are essentially hanging on by their fingernails. Um, they're one unexpected, you know, $400 expense away from financial instability. Yeah. And what is that metric? What percentage of Americans can't handle, could not handle an unexpected expense of that amount? Um, the Federal Reserve came out with that shortly, and it was it was the majority of middle class is one. They surveyed and they said, you know, the majority of middle class is one $400 unexpected expense, expense away from financial um, strain. And so, you know, jobs like teachers and police officers and firefighters and social workers, nurses 50 years ago really were vibrant and strong in the middle class. And now, you know, they're struggling um, to make ends meet and depending on how many children they have. So this notion of helping families become more resilient within the middle class, and it's also the families who are right below that line of the middle class, how do we get them into the middle class? So how do we make them um, create pathways for success to get them into the middle class? So help us imagine, what are some of the solutions that are being proposed? What are the types of things you're looking for? Are they smarter ways to invest, save, earn? So there's, we have sort of four or five broad buckets where ideas are coming in. Um, So one of them is, yes, this notion of financial um, and personal savings um, and the ability uh, to think about that. In Utah, affordable housing is becoming a, a big issue. So a lot of ideas are coming in around housing affordability, also transportation, um, and as well education and workforce development. As we think about the 21st century and what types of jobs are needed and what are going away, this notion of retraining and a lifelong continuum of learning is, um, mm-hmm. is vibrant, as well as supports for families. So if we think about child care and also elderly care, um, you know, 50 years ago, most households were one income earners. Now that's just not a reality. So you have two working parents. And how do you um, find child care and then also adult or parent elderly care um, provides a lot of strain for families. So we're seeing the ideas sort of come in under those four or five um, buckets. That makes sense. And and we're, we're in our generation, Nick and I are on the elder end of the millennial spectrum, but um, low Gen X and, and older millennials are also a part of the sandwich generation where mm-hmm. it's expected that both elder care and child care will be present in your life 
uh, concurrently. Well, if I can tell you that's facing me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know that, that that's you know not something that traditionally people had children younger, um, and so right. they weren't facing you know daycare and elder care costs you know at the same time. But um, some trends have have sort of pushed that those together. So those are that's a lot. Of, those are a lot of issue areas, and those are big problems to solve. Lots of big trends to to be aware of. So let's dive in. You know, we talked about what we want to get. You know, we want to get ideas that address these challenges. I mean, is what's the American Dream Ideas Challenge? So the American Dream Ideas Challenge is how we have branded and have rolled out our challenge. Um, each university in the alliance, uh, the other universities are Arizona State University, Ohio State University, and University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, each university had the ability to design their ideas challenge how they wanted. At the University of Utah, core to our institutional mission and um, what we believe is this notion that the ideas need to come um, from a community-based. So we have designed our challenge to be statewide and community-based, which means we have um, a statewide campaign rolling out right now to gather as many ideas as we can. So we're casting a very broad net in hopes that we get ideas from high school students, from college students, from um, you know any public servants, um, nonprofit leaders, faculty, staff, so across um, across the way. I think what's been really fascinating to see is um, this ideas challenge has been a mechanism to bring together um, groups and voices that maybe typically don't sit in the same room. So it's been a way to sort of break down barriers and bring together people across this, you know, this this idea of strengthening families and community in Utah. Um, and so it's been a really fantastic thing to watch, and we're really excited to see our first deadline is August 30th. And so. We'll be reviewing ideas on August 30th and then choose our top 10 and then get down to the top three, which will then compete nationally um, again uh, with the other alliance member ideas. And then eventually Schmidt Futures will uh, pick the top three or four ideas and fund them with a million dollars each. And I'm curious, you talk about um, the challenge bringing together folks who might not have otherwise worked together. Can you give us an example? Yes. So yesterday, for example, uh, I was uh, at our at a group called Silicon Slopes, um, which brings together entrepreneurs and business leaders in Utah. And um, in one room, we had the commissioner of Tooele City. We had a congressional office. We had a, a retired couple. We had an entrepreneur dad and a nine-year-old son. Uh, we had a city planner. We had a handful of entrepreneurs. And, and they're all sitting there talking about ideas and their sort of angle on what they think needs to be done to strengthen the middle class. Fascinating. Did anything interesting come up that they had unique perspectives on? I think uh, it's it's really interesting to watch in a room where you have people coming from different angles. And, um, you know, one of the groups has an idea around the need to basically empower individual households to rent out certain spaces. So if you have a RV pad to be able to rent that out and um, have, you know, additional income come in for that. So this idea of where you have big houses that have extra space, um, renting that out in a very sort of crowdsourcing informal way um, to others. So I'm really excited to see that idea. And, you know, there's lots of other ideas coming in as well. And so, you, you mentioned Schmidt Futures. Um, who are they and how are they involved? 
Sure. So Schmidt Futures is a venture facility um, that is dedicated to advancing society through technology and science and promoting shared prosperity. Um, Eric Schmidt is founded Schmidt Futures. He's the technical advisor to Alphabet, um, which is the parent company of Google. Uh, at one point, um, Eric Schmidt had lived in Utah and worked for one of the tech companies here, um, but. They're, they're a newer type of venture facility, and, and they do giving through gifts and grants and investments and startup activities. And um, this Alliance for the American Dream was their brainchild to say, let's use that anchor institution role of universities to try and surface innovative ideas of how we can strengthen the middle class. Thanks for that. Um, I'm thinking of the role of the university, your you know dissertation, and and you know, how you will start to think about the vetting criteria of these proposals. You know, you said August 30th, 30th or 31st is the, the next deadline. Um, how are you going to balance or have you thought about balancing the evidence base? We know the effects of affordable housing on one hand, you know, from the, the literature mm-hmm. and innovation. What's the innovative solution around affordable housing? How, how are you balancing those aspects? So that is that is something we've talked about a lot, actually, and um, we actually have put together a technical advisory group, um, especially because we've been tasked with this goal of increasing net income by 10%. So the, the types of guiding principles that we're using um, with the ideas is we're looking for proposals that are interdisciplinary, that draw from diverse um, perspectives and sets of people, and then also the ideas have to be grounded in data science. And so special consideration is given to those types of proposals. Other things we're thinking about is we want a sustainable solution, not just a drop in the bucket like a lottery win of you know an extra $400 a month, but ideas that will be sustainable over time. Also, um, we, we, we can choose ideas that are specific to Utah and really serve the Utah community, but... If they're scalable and can be scaled across the country to make a real impact, that's also um, very enticing. And then also other notions of efficiency and effectiveness um, we're all considering um, as we look at these proposals. Are you guys doing anything to support um, folks who are coming forth with ideas to sort of help cultivate them? So, you know, you talked about the diversity of potential applicants, you know, the dad and his son or the retirees. If they have an idea, but not necessarily the, um, you know, experience or, you know, knowledge to sort of put a business plan together or, you know, think about this in a in a startup-y kind of way, are you guys working with those applicants? We are, um, and we are connecting them with university experts and resources to help them develop and cultivate their ideas. Cool. We also anticipate that as we get in all these ideas, there may be um, – power in grouping some Mm -hmm. people together Mm -hmm. to say we have these five ideas around transportation these three should be grouped together and um, form a team Uh, and so we're we're looking at that i also think it's interesting too with the alliance um, the idea is you know this first round is sort of an experiment but we're also looking at it as this may be a really interesting way to bring together top researchers in certain areas between the four public research universities to say, okay, in round two in 2019, how are we thinking specifically about one of these certain issue areas and how can we help foster more research collaboration between 
universities, which are typically pretty siloed within and then across universities. I, I love that. And so I, I'm checking for understanding here. On one hand, you know, if, if I'm submitting a proposal to um, to the University of Utah's um, American Dream Ideas Challenge, at least to start off with, this is an implementable solution in Utah, even if it's scalable across other geographies. Do I have to, you know, our our listener base today is is national, international to some degree. Do you have to be a Utah to, is it a Utah? Are you a Ute? I don't know. Utah, you got <laughs> a it. Utah. <laughs> to, to apply to this challenge through the University of Utah or an Ohioan in Ohio? No, you don't. Um, but for our Utah challenge, for example, you can be anywhere in the world, but it does need to focus specifically on the Utah community. Got it. Cool. Be a fan of Utah from afar. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and where can folks um, go to either learn more or submit their proposals, submit their ideas? So they can go to americandream.utah.edu. And we have additional information on the challenge, and they can also submit proposals through that website. So that's americandream.utah.edu. Excellent. Courtney, and as we're coming into our last couple minutes of the segment here, you know, I'm struck by the fact that we've done hundreds of serious interviews. And I think this is the first one where there was, a, you know, an articulated focus on the American dream, one of a handful where the middle class um, specifically was the focus. Um, you know, we see much more activity around the base of the pyramid, um, you know, folks in deep poverty or in, you know, uh, poverty cycles. What made what made the middle class be the focus here? Are you seeing a lot of activity around America's middle? And, and why why is that a priority to, to fix or to focus on uh, versus those in greater need? Right. I think um, our funders recognize that a lot of attention and funding has gone to poverty projects, and those are certainly very important. But if you look at wage growth over the last 50 years, we just increasingly are having some of our public servants and these, you know, mainstay jobs and families that um, just don't have the financial resiliency that they did 50 years ago. So I think we need to sort of broaden, given those data points and the inequality that's um, happening right now, we, we need to sort of broaden our scope and focus to say, we need to look um, sort of one or two rungs up the economic ladder to say these these folks are not as resilient as they were before, and how do we ensure this notion of upward ec- economic mobility in the future and um, this notion that the American dream is still li- alive and that people can feel hope and feel safety in their current and futures? So you may have just answered my last question, but... Courtney, I know that you have great respect for the the university president, and um, you know that might be one reason. But what made you say yes to this job? Like, what what? Is, why are you in this? Well, I Nick honestly feel really um, grateful and honored to have this opportunity. Uh, this American Dream project was a perfect culmination of sort of my work in policy and nonprofit and impact investing over the last 15 years. And to be able to do this um, with our president, Ruth Watkins, who's, a, you know, a visionary and really committed to these issues was just a really great opportunity. And to be able to be a representative of the university and work in the community across the public, private, and nonprofit sectors with, you know, innovators in Utah is a really cool opportunity. So I'm grateful to be able to lead it out and hope we can surface some really good ideas here in Utah that can make a positive impact. 
Well, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us. We have been talking to Courtney Macbeth, the special assistant to the president at the University of Utah and the project director with the American Dream Ideas Challenge. We are going to take a short break, but stick with us. We're going to have our open segment where Sandy and I will recap some of our guests. I think I'm excited to talk about the why. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I asked um, uh, Courtney there at the end about, you know, why business and social impact and our show and what we're doing, I think, is important. Um, and we'd love to hear about what you're doing out in the world, too. So give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're going to take a short break, but stick with us. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 